If I could ask a favor, I, in the next, uh, we've, uh, next 12 or 13 weeks, I'll be with you talking about, Lord willing, about Acts. And I'd like to ask if we could be a little more interactive, if you would be willing to talk with each other and talk back to me uh, in worship, because I'd, like I'd like to get the energy and the interactivity higher. But let me ask you a question that I'd like you to respond to in about four minutes. But before, then I'll give you some commentary before. Here's the question. What does it mean for you, for you personally, what does it mean for you to have a relationship with the living Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and how does the Holy Spirit enter that relationship with you? So the question is two parts. How, how do you have a relationship with the living Christ, and what role does the Spirit play in that? Let, let me give you some commentary now. This past week, uh, Dr. Gerald Sitzer was here in Pella, and he spoke at the Vermeer uh, Charitable Foundations event. And Jerry is one of the world's best-known scholars on early church, early church history, first 350 years of the church. And we were talking, we had about seven hours together. He gave me a copy of his uh, new book that's coming out, and we talked about, and this is what he said to me that just really struck me. He said, when Constantine in about 360 became a Christian, and this is how Christian Constantine the emperor was, he had his soldiers, everyone, everyone had to become a Christian. The emperor said everyone had to become a Christian. The soldiers, when they got baptized, were baptized, but they kept their swords out of the water because they wanted to kill whoever they wanted to kill. And what happened at that moment, in 360-ish approximately, the life of the church, the Christian church changed. And it became an institution, and before this, it basically met generally in homes. From this point on, they began to build big buildings. And if you remember the old church style, you'd have a great big, like, think about like First Reformed Church, Second Reformed Church, those, those long, long sanctuaries. The purpose was that the king and queen could sit on the top pole of the platform in those big chairs, and they would see who of their subject had come to church. So the church moved from homes relationships, living the kingdom of God to great big buildings, long rows, and then it moved to a priesthood. And the regular people couldn't even come onto the platform because obviously you weren't holy enough or wise enough or something. So there becomes a separation between the laity and the, and, and the clergy. And we have these big institutions and we lost something. And Jerry said to me something really interesting, and this is where I'm, I'm going with my question. He said for 350 years, to be a Christian was to be convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead and to live life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, for our tribe, the Reformed tradition in about 500 years ago, the Reformation happened. It was, it was formed for, to um, deal with excesses in the church at that time. But one of the movements that has happened in the last 500 years in our tribe is the things of God have basically become a theological exercise of the mind. So we developed catechisms and creeds. So when I was a boy... We had to memorize, memorize the Heidelberg Catechism. We had to know questions and answers to all the creeds. 
We had to know Bible verses, memorize Bible verses. And the movement was to, do you have the right things in your head? Now, what began to happen then over these last 500 years is there has been an ever-diminishing sense of Christ has risen and he is active by his spirit. And people can radically change and become different because it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The book of Acts is radical because they actually believe the risen Jesus was leading and guiding and talking. In just a moment, we're going to look at three vignettes in just a few verses. The first vignette is connected to a fight between people in the church. The second vignette is connected again to racism. Who's in, who's out. And the third vignette is tied to the work of the Holy Spirit in guiding. Now what I want you to see it very simply is the Holy Spirit helps us address broken relationships. Not just knowing the right facts. I know what the Bible says. Let me quote the Bible. If you have, I'm going to quote the King James, I memorize it. If you have aught against your brother, leave your offering on the altar and go and be reconciled with your brother. Now, I know that. You know that. How many people in your life do you have a broken relationship with? And you said, who cares? Write them off. But if the Holy Spirit is active in us, and the Holy Spirit's moving in us, what, what begins to emerge? What, what, what's Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of the living Jesus in us says, fix relationships, work on relationships. Over time, begin the journey of forgiving. That's the first story. The second story we're going to look at in Acts chapter 16, first few verses, is racism. Who's in? Who's out? Can they be part of our church? And what is it? Now watch. And what is interesting, the Holy Spirit gives Paul a very wise and pragmatic advice to address this. And the third story is him saying, Lord, I want to go this way. And the Lord says, no. I want to go this way. Lord says, no. I want to go this way. Lord says, no. Lord says, I want you to go this way. Now, this is what's really crazy. If any one of these three stories had not turned out the way they did, there is a real possibility that you and I would not be here today. Now, let me take you back to the beginning of the book of Acts. How's Acts begin? And you will receive power. The word is dunamis, dynamite when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. But it's the Spirit upon, now watch, watch, watch. But if it's just mental assent, I don't care if my neighbor goes to hell. Let him. If you're a Republican, you can say it to the Democrats. The Democrats to the Republicans. Who cares? But if we have relationship with the living Jesus, who does not want anyone to perish, and if the Holy Spirit is quickening my heart, your heart, our hearts, then all of a sudden, people's eternity matters. 
And all of a sudden, things just change because it's not just mental ascent. You know, get this, you know this. The demons know theology better than any of us ever will. They've been around for thousands of years. They know theology. The, listen, listen. Demons know their Bible better than any of us. They know the scriptures. They watch them being read. They watch them being read. They know the things of God and they say, no, no, no. And they rebelled. And now we have this huge, huge spiritual battle, which was won at Calvary, but we're still fighting a cleanup operation. And we will, when Jesus comes back, finally be, be victorious. All that's to raise the question. What does it mean for you to have a relationship with Jesus today? And how does the Holy Spirit affect that? So, I need the extroverts, of which I am not one. Extroverts, answer the question. Let's start some conversation here. What does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus and what role does the Spirit play? Help me out. Yes, Kathy. I think I'm in a tetherball game, which shows you how old I am. But you have a pole, and you have a rope, and you have a ball. And the pole is God, and the rope holding you to God is the Holy Spirit. And you're getting pounded every which way, but the tighter you get pounded, the object is wrapped around the pole. Y'all hear that okay? God's the pole. Who's the rope? Holy Spirit. And we're the ball. So you stay connected to the pole. Or in the words of Jesus, I am the vine, you're the branches. Stay connected. Very good. Thank you, Kathy. Somebody else. What does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus and what role is the Holy Spirit playing in it? So are you saying then that connection with the Holy Spirit gives you hope when things don't go as you would like or as they seem? Yes. Is that what you're saying? Okay, so you, are you saying because Jesus is alive and the Spirit is active, you have hope in situations where your clients are just really, really in difficult places. You believe Christ can work in those situations. Okay, very good. Thank you. Somebody else? Yeah, wow. Lyle says his relationship with Jesus is like the relationship of two friends. And sometimes there is tension among the friends. It is the Holy Spirit who helps 
advocate, counsel, help that relationship. It's good. Thank you. One more. Yeah. Eric. So, Eric, are you saying that it's the Spirit who draws your attention? Your attention gets drawn back to Jesus. The Spirit brings you back, brings you back in the course of a day. Yeah. Interesting, last week at 11 o'clock service, so the first two services, I'm just talking about Holy Spirit stuff with me. Two services, I was pretty calm to compose. The third service last Sunday morning, I just lost it and cried. And I don't know what prompted for me, but this is where it kind of went. As we were, I don't know what, where it was in the teaching time, but somewhere around, it quickened in me that if any person in this room does not have an eternal relationship with Jesus, there is eternal separation. And I started to cry. And I said, I would be sick if while I was the senior pastor of this church, anybody, anybody went to hell when they died. And that was, I think, a quickening of the spirit. Like, look at all these precious people. So this is why, you remember when Kirk died last year and Elaine and I did the Psalm 23 thing? We asked you to memorize three things. The Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Why? Because it brings us back to center over and over. Maybe you have a breath prayer, some phrase that you use in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy. You notice? You notice I'm doing this Trinitarian thing all the time now. I am constantly crossing myself. Why? I am remembering the presence of our triune God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it just centers me. Or how about the Lord's Prayer that we pray over and over? What? I pray all day long. Do you too? It brings you here. In the 23rd Psalm, why? Because it draws us back. It draws us back. On um, some day this week, I can't remember what it was, um, the Madison um, Public School had a, a really significant drill in case there was a mass shooter. And how, did, how would Third Church be a part of, with all, the, all law enforcement and everyone to help care for children? And as I watched the exercise ongoing, I was just strike, struck by how desperately we need the goodness, the presence, the protection of the Lord and I, it quickened me just watching all these parents come to this door to come through the appropriate channels to get their children after a tragedy. What I'm getting at is I'm asking you, how attentive are you to the Holy Spirit who is constantly quickening you to this relationship with Jesus? That's what I'm poking at this morning. That's a long introduction. Okay, Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Here's the first of three stories. I'm gonna go through pretty quickly. Because I've talked too long. So, 1536. So here's the first story. And then can I have this slide uh, four, please, Jim? So this is what I'm poking at in this first one. How can the risen Jesus use conflict and disagreement in the Acts 1-8 vision? Okay, so Act 1536. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So Jim, can I have the map, please? So this is the second missionary journey, one packet over these next four weeks or so. 
But the first missionary journey started in Antioch. You see up about the middle right. And it went to the area from basically Antioch to Antioch and a little bit to Ephesus. So Paul wanted to say, let's go back and let's go visit these churches that we planted. Now remember what churches were. They would go into a synagogue. They would find whoever was receptive, God-fearers, which are Gentiles, not yet Jews, proselytes, or open Jews, and they would share the gospel. And they would create house churches. So there were house churches created in all those places. Over the house churches, the leaders would just say, elder, 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 whatever. Now, this is what, this is what Jerry told me. This just blew my mind. Get this, get this. 60 years after Jesus rose, 66 zero years, local house churches had people trained to pray for the sick, to cast out demons, to care for the poor as a part of house churches in all those places, 60 years after Jesus rose. There were trained exorcists in all those house churches. So, 1536, let's go back. Let's go back and let's go check on these people. But then something happened. Look at the next verse. Verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because they had deserted, he had deserted them in Pamphylia and not continue with them in the work. Why? Because it got really dicey. They were beaten, almost killed. Life was hard. John Mark said, I don't want to be a part of that. He left. They had such, such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. So Paul and Barnabas split. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Can the map again, Jim? Can I have the map? So Silas, Barnabas goes to, from uh, Jerusalem to Cyprus, and now what's Paul going to do? And Paul chose uh, Silas and left by the believers by the grace of God. He went through, look up there, he went through Syria and Cilicia. Those are two regions strengthening the churches. So he did the same thing. He did what they planned and then Barnabas left. Now, what good can come out of that? And what role is the Holy Spirit playing in it? So now there's a serious disagreement here. Now, let's, let's, let's just put the human side of this on. Go slide four, Jim, so you can see that. Think the human side. So if you're Paul, and you have been beaten nearly to death multiple times, and mobs of people have been screaming and cursing and want you hurt, and here's this young guy who just decides to leave, humanly, in your flesh, would you want that guy on your team? I mean, I, mean, I get it, I get it. But what if there's more to the story? What if part of John Mark's reticence was the, was the sense in chapters 13, 14, 15 of the power of demons? And what if this, this gentle, kind young man who saw all this demonic power exhibited in such crazy ways just said, I want none of that stuff. No, quick time out. Who wrote the first gospel? Mark. And what's the first story he tells in the first gospel? Jesus is preaching in a synagogue and a demon manifests itself. And Jesus does what? He strangles the demon. So John Mark, and part of the craziness of the story is John Mark, who was afraid of demonic power and suffering, writes the Gospel of Mark, which is full of action and power and the risen Christ. There might be other reasons they, they weren't together. So what's the role of the Holy Spirit in disagreements? 
So if we are walked, no, no, watch, watch. If I know in my head I need to be in right relationship with you, but I don't like you, I can blow you off. But if the Holy Spirit has place in my heart, in your heart, in our hearts, what begins to arise among us? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And then when the words of Jesus come, if you have a broken relationship, go. It is the Spirit who quickens us, who encourages us to help us to go. This this is the thing I'm afraid of. Do you hear my underneath, my fear underneath? We can know the right answers and they have no effect on behavior. Yes? I know I shouldn't be angry. I know I shouldn't steal. I know I shouldn't bear false witness. I know I shouldn't covet. And if I do, what does it say about me? I'm not keeping in step with the Spirit. So what happens out of this thing? Out of this painful, let me tell you a true story, real quick true story. My third year as pastor here, we had a, there was a difficult season of some things, and a decision was made about a certain thing, the elders, long story, the elders basically said we're going to stop something. It caused a lot of hurt. It was, it was a painful moment. One of the persons who was very hurt um, was angry at me, and this person uh, began uh, a phone calling campaign, calling people and asking them to ask the elders to fire me. And so if you remember back in the old third church, which is where the library is, if you walk down the steps, there was a, for those of you who are younger, there was a phone on, you could dial the phone, <laughs> now a different phone, different kind of phone. And above the phone, there was a sign. To get Kevin fired, please call this number. So I did. <laughs> and I heard the voice, and then I hung up. They will call her ID. And so this person and I knew that there was hurt between us. And of course, we acted like there was no hurt between us. But there was hurt between us. And I was convicted that I was being a yucky of spirit. So one day, I'm standing by the Marion County State Bank by the stoplight, and this person was down at the other end, out in the block, and I saw the person, the person saw me, and the person starts walking north. Now, this is a long time ago. I could still run. So I ran down to the alley. I ran down the alley where the Chinese restaurant is. I came around the corner, and we ran into each other. I said, what a surprise. But here's the point. And I said to this person, you and I claim to be followers of Jesus. We are hurt with each other. We need to work through our hurt. Because others know that we're we're hurt with each other. And over a period of time, we did. Some years later, uh, this person passed away. And I remember doing the funeral, and at the end of the service, 
the memories of how God had restored us caused me to stand here and again to weep. Because what was so broken and hurtful had become more whole. Remember the Acts 1.8? You will be my witnesses. But the second story, chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. So mother is Jewish and a believer. Father was Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area. So he circumcised him. Hmm. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So in those first four, after the circumcision, they traveled from town to town. They delivered decisions reached by the elders, by the apostles and elders for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. So map again. So look at, they went to these churches and they shared what the elders and the leaders of Jerusalem had said that you do not have to be circumcised, you don't have to keep all the law, a relationship with Jesus is what enters, brings entry to the kingdom of God. So they went back, but he circumcised. Now why did he circumcise them? Look at slide five now, now watch this. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and allows us to be pragmatic. So you remember how it was, what, I told you this many, many weeks ago, but where would they go when they wanted to bring the gospel to a different part of the region, to the empire? They'd go to the synagogues, why? So they would first share with any Jews who wanted to hear, but they also needed to speak with the God-fearers. Those were the Gentiles who had not been circumcised, who didn't keep all the law. That was the ready target audience. So if you go to a seat like Ephesus with millions of people, million people, where would you go? They would go to the synagogues. Now think about this. No Gentile man could enter a synagogue across a certain space. So if you went to the big temple in Jerusalem, and the synagogues were built on it, there was a space for the Gentiles, and a certain place, a certain distance in, there was a four-foot wall, and I'm paraphrasing, but the, the Hebrew language says, anyone who crosses this barrier is responsible for their own blood, meaning you'll be killed, Gentile, if you cross that barrier. So Paul has a young man who is partially Jewish and partially Greek. He knows they have to go into the synagogues because that's where they begin their ministry, reaching out to people who might be open to Jesus. So he makes a very wise and pragmatic decision. He has them circumcised. And then the text says they go into all the synagogues and they help people hear the good news and what happens? And the gospel spreads and the churches are strengthened. Now let me ask this question. When you need wisdom, you go to the web or do you go to Jesus first? I want you to think about that. Dallas Willard writes many, many times in his books, Jesus Christ was the smartest man who ever lived. We sang last week, we said last week he's alive. So why would we not ask him for wisdom? I think the Holy Spirit said to Paul, circumcise Timothy, because he will be a very effective partner in going into these synagogues. His circumcision allowed him entry back into his family of origin, the Jews. 
but it also gave him entree. Now, this is a crazy thing. Had he not been circumcised, he could not have gone in because the racist tendencies were so high, no Jew could enter. But here's the question I'm trying to raise for you. Are you open to wisdom through the Spirit from the living Jesus? Andy Andrews uses a phrase, I've repeated this phrase a hundred times, but I repeat it once. Andy, Andy Andrews says, and I quote, we are where we are today because of our own best thinking. It is when the Holy Spirit energizes how we think that we can make really wise and good and helpful and life-giving decisions. But let me come back to you. If all your faith is, is the right stuff in the head. What is your only comfort in life and in death? If that's it, why would I even ask? Just whip out my phone, Google it, okay. Which leads me to the next story. Look what happens in the next story. Chapter 16, 6 through 10. Paul and his companions travel throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So could you look up at the map? So now he's coming from Iconium, Lystra, Antioch, and he's wanting to go this way. And it says, what? He was kept by the Spirit from preaching in the province of Asia. Do you see Asia? Ephesus, Asia, Mysia. So he can't go basically south. Okay, what happens next? Next verse. When they tried to the, they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit would not allow them to. Where's Bithynia? That's up north. So they can't go south. They can't go north. Why? Because the Holy Spirit says, don't go north, don't go south. As a type A, probably going to do the X18 thing, he's not going backwards anymore. He's not going back to Antioch, not going back to Iconium. So what does he do? Next verse. Verse 8, so they passed by Mysia, and they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So look at this, up the map. He wasn't going back to Antioch. He couldn't go south to Asia. He couldn't go north to Bithynia. He ended up going to Troas, and Troas, he goes across to Macedonia. You're here today because of that. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Don't go this way. Plan A, Asia, no. Plan B, Bithynia, no. Plan M, Macedonia, huh? Yes. And we're here today because the Holy Spirit led him there. Question? How much does the Spirit of Jesus guide you day by day, throughout the day? Now again, watch the context. If Christian faith is just getting the right stuff in our heads, it's just, it's just knowing basic things. When I die, I, 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 let me just play this out. Give me a little, just a little bit of, so I'll use myself. March, Palm Sunday, 1971. The Wednesday before, had a three-hour exam with the elders. Kevin, what is the question number one, and what is the answer? 
Kevin, what is question number six? What is the answer? What is question number 13? What is the answer? I passed the test. Four days later, Palm Sunday, I stood in front of a church. And the elder said, Kevin Corver is now a full member in good standing of our church. He's confessed his faith in Christ. What had I done? I said, Jesus is my Savior, and I memorized the catechism. Did it affect anything about how I lived? No. I just knew all the questions and answers. And it didn't change my behavior. I told this story before. I played basketball at Central College. One of the old missionaries named Reverend Corny DeBryan used to come to our games. And after the games, he wanted to come to the locker rooms and talk to us. So I'm sitting there one day after one game. We had a really good team our senior year. I'm sitting there, and Corny comes in. And I didn't really know him. And he said, can I talk, ask you a couple questions? I said, sure. He said, Kevin, you call yourself a follower of Jesus? I said, yeah. He said, you call him Lord? I said, yeah. So what's he Lord of? What are you talking about? He said, is he Lord of how you think? No. Is he Lord of how you act? Not really. Is he Lord of your sex life? He kept asking these questions. And then he stopped, looked right at me. He said, Kevin, so what's Jesus the Lord of in your life? I knew the catechism. I knew scripture. It didn't affect how I lived. In the coming years, I'm suggesting to us in the fall, Lord willing, if I'm still alive and still here, we're going to do a series, and I'm going to begin by explaining what it means to live in a post-Christendom world. And it will require that we have an ongoing relationship with the living Jesus in the power of his spirit so that we can be witnesses to a world desperately needing the goodness of the kingdom of God. Just making sense to you? Here's the whole sermon in a sentence. To be a follower of Jesus is not to know the right stuff. To be a follower of Jesus is to be increasingly saying what Jesus said, thinking what Jesus thought, and doing what Jesus did. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And that's the journey that we're on together. As we be more and more formed into the image of Christ, the region changes. Our lives change. Our homes change. Relationships change. But it is predicated on the belief that Jesus is risen and his spirit lives in us and through us. Pretty exciting, isn't it? We get to be people in community trying to live like Jesus. Well, the action steps, slide seven. We're going to have lots of guests this week. So can I invite us to welcome, honor, and pray for Tulip Time guests? And here's a crazy one. If the Holy Spirit gives you a nudge to pray with someone on Tulip Time in public, try it. If you were a guest to this little town, 
and someone welcomed you, honored you, listened to you, and then in a prompt from the Holy Spirit prayed, what might they think? Not about Pella, but about Jesus. Wouldn't that be a great opportunity? A hospitality tent, just smile, welcome people. You know, the, the purpose of Pella, historically, was to be a place of welcome, safety, and a place of sending. We get to live that out this week. Let's welcome and honor. And let's continue our study of the book of Acts. So could you be willing, in your private times, read Acts 1 through 5. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to say thank you that you are ever going ahead of us. You invite us, you invite us to live with you, to live for you, to be like you. So would you release more and more of your Holy Spirit among us? Could you take a moment, and if you're willing, and if you choose, would you invite the risen Christ to just pour more of his spirit into your heart, into your mind, into your body? Receive more of the presence of Jesus deep within. And now would you pray the same thing for all of us? That we would be marked by our love and our kindness. And that people would be drawn to Jesus because we increasingly look like him, act like him, think like him, speak like him. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done in each of us, in all of us, on the earth, as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.